0: I don't get get scared and start turning off your radios, huh? I'm not advertising or trying to sell you anything. If the mouthwash you're using uh, is uh, not the right kind and it tastes sort of like sheep dip, why, you just have to go right on using it. I can't advise any other kind, so...
1: Welcome to Bacon, Beans, and Limousines. This is a Will Rogers Memorial Museum podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Crumwee.
0: Guys, and I'm Bart Taylor. We want to welcome you in to our ninth podcast. We are happy that you're here. We've got some great stuff to tell you about Will and his early vaudeville uh, stages. And we're going to lay it out. Even if you haven't known what vaudeville is, we're going to tell you. So uh, we want you to sit back. We want you to relax. When we see cowboy boots, pop those on, and we'll be right back. Thanks.
1: Hey. We're back. Time, you know what time it is, guys? Time to party. It's time for some bacon beans and limousines. BBL in your face. Oh, BBL. Hey guys, let's Whoa, uh, let's easy. hey. I'm I'm being forceful about this. We you just don't ha- hey guys. Oh, hey guys. Yeah. Hey. Or like hey guys. <laughs> well, after uh, Bart and I were sitting here after lunch and during lunch actually, uh, we got something we want to ask you guys. All no, right.
0: I, this is serious. It's personal. We want you to get real close to the headphone.
1: This is serious now.
0: Stick the stick the headphone thing further. Everyone
1: in. everyone gather in. Gather in.
0: <laughs> There's like one person gathering in.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we um we would want to ask you guys if you would do us a favor. We don't ask much. If you would, we would like to see you guys subscribe to us for one Please. and also tell your friends about us. I would we would really like to see um you know, you guys putting up links on Facebook, telling everyone to if you like what you hear, if you like what what you're learning about Will Rogers,
0: even criticisms. I mean, if you think oh, Jacob's no. voice needs a vocoder, which I do personally, <laughs> actually, I might write in. So. You
1: might, you might. Uh, okay, <laughs> D- don't hurt my feelings. I'm sensitive. I do it
0: enough. So, <laughs> uh, but Jacob's right. I mean, we need we need more listener user support, like we talked about from yeah. the first couple episodes. Um, that's something that gets us confident, gets us, you know, researching even a topic that you want or a certain question that you want.
1: Yeah. You know, if, uh, if we've been kind of coasting along, we're kind of taking Will Rogers life at a leisurely pace. Um, but if there's something you'd really want to hear, um, something that maybe we missed or there's something that, uh, you know, you'd like us to spend some time on, just shoot us an email, Ask Will at willrogers.com. Um, and we can, we can work on that. We can put it in an episode. We can, um. You know, it's really up to you guys. So
0: Yeah, definitely. And um just look at those friends lists. You know, every time we post a podcast, you know, if you could if you could either share it, like it, comment on it. Yeah. It gets people looking at it. And uh that's important for us to get it out there. Um, great example. We uh we've just been getting a lot of um I believe it was the Cherokee Nation that shared ours a couple of times and yeah, just little things like that have got our numbers up and um the more number uh, the more our numbers grow, the the more we can do with this podcast.
1: So. Yeah. We really feel like it's, uh you know, it's our duty to try to reach, you know, more people that normally wouldn't stop in and visit the museum or right. maybe encourage them to stop in and visit the museum. So, you know, we really want to outreach to people and, you know, make sure we're grabbing as many folks as we, uh, as we can. So definitely you guys can help us with that. Um, you know, you can subscribe to the podcast itself. Um, tell your friends, if you could do all that for us, boy, we would really be grateful.
0: Definitely. Well, guys, I think that's, uh, we're going to come right back, give you a little commercial taste, and then we're going to get to it. So we'll see you in just a second, okay?
1: Tired of that same old grind out on the vaudeville circuit? I really am. Why not try a grind of another kind? Ooh, yeah. Tayweedian coffee. Good, 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 good. It's hot. It's black. It's the elixir of life, Tayweedian <whistles> coffee, freshly brewed brilliance.
0: Have you tried yourself some coffee today?
1: Tayweedian coffee. Okay, well, Bart. Yeah, man. Why don't we just hop right in?
0: All right, let's do it.
1: Um. As you guys remember, we kind of, uh, we're at the point in Will's life where, um, he's starting to pursue vaudeville as a career. Now, um, we kind of wanted to do, (laughs) we originally said we're going to do vaudeville in one episode, but that's just not feasible. We don't
0: want to keep you guys for two days. Uh, I mean, we know you guys have jobs. Well, some of you have jobs and, uh.
1: That would be a long, long podcast. So um, we're just gonna kind of cr- cruise through, um, do vaudeville as we see fit. We're gonna kind of skip around and do some other things in, at later episodes, and we're gonna come back around to it um, later on down the road. But uh, so we're just gonna we're gonna kind of give you a brief look at what vaudeville was, Will Rogers' uh, role in it, and, and things like that today, and then we'll get on to some other stuff later. Sounds good to me, Jacob. Sounds good to me. All right. By the time Will Rogers had left Zach Mulholl's show, um, kind of around the first half of 1905, um, re- he had really embraced the idea of pursuing the idea of the cultural frontier, as I like to call it, um, of the American West in entertainment. Um, this was really aided by the fact that uh, the image of the American West had really become a part of American culture and identity. Um, as the frontier itself was evolving so was the american cowboy we talked about this in the Yeah, a with the
0: uh, fjt episode
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um
0: we abbreviate things around here bbl fjt
1: yeah, that's right <laughs> uh you know and, and as the as the cattle industry modernized the cowboy the the cowboy itself modernized as well and became a part of popular culture right right um in fact bill rogers is kind of a good example of this uh of this kind of cowboy in tra- in transition um you know, with Will's father's ranch, you know, is fundamentally changed as we talked about in previous episodes. Um, Will Rogers really set out to discover himself, you know, and how he would continue to embrace this cowboy lifestyle, and he eventually found it in the entertainment industry, just like, just like we have talked about with the um, the image of the cowboy itself. Now, now to be fair, uh, vaudeville itself, it wasn't a specific, specifically western form of entertainment, right? But for the sake of Will Rogers' career, you know, that's something that really um, really helped continue to launch him into the public eye.
0: Right. He was able to be a cowboy through vaudeville.
1: Right. Definitely. Right. So, it, like I was saying, it's not necessarily—it's not the Western—it's not that vaudeville itself was specifically Western, but for Will Rogers it was. Right. Definitely. So.
0: And that's one thing that um, I found, and you go to his book, it points out that Will Rogers, his act— you know, it necessarily wasn't like the uh, flame. Uh, w- what was it? The, the guy who shot a gun with his toes. Yeah. You know, and all the crazy, you know, freak acts as they called them. Uh huh. But he was uh, he was still in this company. Um. So you know, like a cowboy throwing a rope. That was sort of like a tame act, considering you know all these other freak acts that were going through this time.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, let's uh, while we're on that, let's you want to talk real quick about what vaudeville itself was to give kind of people a frame of reference here.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I really didn't know too much about this either, um, and, and that's yeah. what's great about the old BBL. You know, you can learn something from it. Absolutely. And be entertained.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, what vaudeville essentially was, you know, it kind of was an evolution of entertainment, stage entertainment. Um, you know, even going back as far as, you know, the 1870s, 1880s. Yeah,
0: really the 1880s is when it started popping.
1: Yeah, and it was um, before that, you know, it was – most stage entertainment was, you know, like in saloons, you know, like you see, you think of in Western movies yeah. and stuff like that. Kind of like a minstrel show. Type. Yeah, you know, it was, you know, a little bit more body and a little more vulgar, and you know, um, kind of more like a burlesque show, sort of stuff. Right. Um,
0: Not like Coyote Ugly.
1: I never saw it.
0: Yeah, me neither. No funny reference. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Jacob, the one thing I, uh, I saw in the, the book we're using, um, American Vaudeville, It's Life and Times, that we got from our great library, uh-huh. which you guys, the, uh, the public, you can stop by and check these out, too. Absolutely. You know, we're up here. We'll help you out, or Carol will, actually. But um, the, the first person to really use vaudeville, in um, American terms, was John W. Ransone. He assembled a special group in the 1880s and toured. Um, it said toured the sticks with his group. Yeah. So I guess that means <laughs> toured all across the country. So.
1: Yeah, there was another guy called uh, Tony Pastor as well. Right. Um, he was the guy um, who kind of started to take this uh, little sort of variety theater, variety stage show, and make it really. Uh, market it to the middle class family and put it like on a little bit more of a f- something they could stage. go see. Yeah, not so just something for the rich. It, it became it became accessible to he kind of made it accessible to larger audiences. Um, you know, it really became a a form of entertainment that was um, starting to be you know become um, marketed to mass audiences.
0: Right. Um, you know, uh, you were talking about Tony Pastor and the word vaudeville and where it came from and the the relation here is. Uh vaudeville, um, at first, the book talks about um, an old San Antonio, Texas theater, yeah. uh, theater in San Antonio, as early as 1882, which was called the vaudeville theater. Oh, okay. And so that's where the name came from. Okay. But the word, the word it derives from uh, the French. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to butcher this. I know. Oh, I
1: know you will. But I'm going to try. It's good entertainment. It's good <laughs> this, radio. This is entertainment.
0: This is it. Um, but it is Val de Verre. Sometime, sometimes, sometimes, va- vaudeville. You know that was great, guys. Thank you for the lesson. Um, but Tony Pastor, one of vaudeville's great showmen, as Jacob was talking about, loathed that it was called vaudeville. Um, he thought this was a sissy term for what was basically a variety show. Um, the B.F. Keith, on the other hand, that we'll talk a little bit more about, yeah, uh, wanted it to be called the vaudeville. So.
1: Yeah, you know, B. F. Keith, Benjamin F. Keith, he was really one of the guys that took this basic idea and really made it into something a well oiled machine, essentially. Right. You know, uh what he what he really did was um what's called uh, I mean this may not have been him necessarily, but uh what he really made famous was the the circuit itself where, you know, the these entertainers um would play their shows on a whole circuit of different stages across, you know, the Eastern United States, for example, one night they would be playing, you know, Baltimore, one night they'd be playing in New York, so on and so on. They would just tour and tour in this continuous circuit. Um, So that, uh, so BF Keith was, you know, one of the guys that uh, really made vaudeville what it was.
0: You know, um, I love, yeah, this is great stuff I'm learning just from listening to you talk. It's (laughs) pleasurable. Um, when, when Will was working for BF Keith, I thought the transition between him and when we when he was working for Keith and Hammerstein and the cash that he started to make. Um, yeah. That, that's one thing that the vaudevillians, you know, we'll talk about in the next episode. Eddie Cantor was making $15,000 a week back then as a vaudevillian performer. Yeah. And this was, I mean, this was a good way for, you, you start seeing, you know, like the movie Stars of Today and they're making the millions. Back then, you started seeing the bigger paychecks for these bigger stars and their acts
1: because it'd be, it'd be, this form of entertainment was really widely popular. Like it, like we were saying, it was like we were saying a minute ago. It was marketed specifically for middle class people. It wasn't quite as vulgar as some of the former shows were. You know, it was still very entertaining, but it wasn't quite as risque as th- a lot of stage shows once were. In fact, um, in 1905, the year that Will Rogers, um began doing vaudeville at, at, with the Keith Circuit. Uh, the Keith Circuit comprised about 20 different theaters. Right. In a couple of years, in 1907, the Keith Circuit was about 80 different theaters. Right. So it went from, you know, I mean, it just— It blew up. It's, it just really blew up, and it tells right. you a good example of— it just shows you it's a good example of how popular these shows were at the time.
0: Definitely. Um, bringing up B.F. Keith's and a little bit of Will's work with him, uh, and you kind of see the pay grade, uh, and you notice will is gaining popularity, and you can see it through his pay grade, which is kind of interesting yeah um, at at first he his first week of work with bF Keith um, he earned seventy five dollars. This was the most money he 's ever gotten paid for you know for, for being an entertainer right and this is big money for him um, will didn 't even get to take the whole full 75 home. Of course, he had to pay a little fee here, a fee to keep Teddy locked up, you know, and uh, boarded for his horse. So, uh, you know, he he walked away with like a little seventy-one dollars and some change. Yagoda said, but this would grow. This would grow and grow, and eventually, you know, Will would sign a bigger contract um, to make a little bit more money. He was actually um, by June, in June of nineteen o five, he was making around one hundred and forty dollars a week. Yeah, and I mean, that's a little less than I make now, and that was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, 100 years ago, so. Yeah. I'm going to show this article to my boss and see where that goes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, um, word spread quickly about Will. Um, His lasso tricks, his rope and tricks were really going to really make some money for him, and it's starting to show. On June 14th, 1905, Will signed another contract. And uh, you might recognize this name. Um, and it was Keith's principal competitor. It was one Oscar Hammerstein. Oh. So, well, I think we're all pretty familiar with that. We name. know that so, name. Um, he joined uh, Hammerstein's Victorian Victoria Theater, which is located on 42nd Street uh, in Broadway, New York City. Right where in the, the heart of entertainment district there. The engagement was paying $140. $140. Um, will described Hammerstein as uh, the leading vaudeville theater of the world and all the performers were tickled to death to be there those are yeah. his his words so you get a feeling that this second contract he signed with Hammerstein in you know we'll talk a little bit more about it next episode as well but this is this is what he needed and what he wanted he wanted to keep progressing
1: yeah i've got a couple really interesting descriptions that i've come across as far as how um journalists or and people that review these vaudeville shows how they would describe will um and it goes back to that western image that we I was talking about at the beginning it was uh it was still played a big role as far as people's appeal and what people liked will rogers um they described him let's see his uh the appeal for the western image that he illustrated um they talked about his uh, friend's leather breeches, a fiery red flannel shirt when he was performing on stage. It was described. He was described as a slender-built chap, squarely shouldered with keen eyes, alert look and clear complexion that marked the man accustomed to outdoor life, the accent practically Im- impossible of reproduction, stamped the speaker as a native of the southwestern section of the country where the cowpuncher still flourishes and with a particular dexterity amazed audiences. Uh...
0: So that would be in his describe me on Facebook.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh and it was uh his his performance uh Bart, it was uh generally he only had about fifteen minutes on stage, right. which really if you think about it, isn't that long necessarily. Um enough for him to, you know, kind of run through a couple of his tricks, do his thing, get off and let other people go. Um wasn't he performing like three shows a day? Sometimes I, I think, you know, it would really depend um but, yeah, I mean, sometimes they would do a matinee in the afternoon. In the primarily, show. Primarily would perform in the evening, yeah.
0: Every time I think supper show, I think <laughs> Dixie Stampede and Dolly Parton. Oh, gosh, And yeah. it's the worst. So I'll <laughs> stop thinking that.
1: <laughs> uh, there was another, uh, actually, a detailed review in um, the Philadelphia Item in 27 June 1905, um, which actually describes what he would, uh, how he would perform. Uh, What he would perform, rather. Um, He would start his performance twirling a lasso over his head, performing a few tricks before lassoing a man on horseback as he trotted across the stage. Um, Rogers would do a variety of tricks with his assistant on horseback, including catching the man with, with the horse with one lasso and the horse with another lasso. After doing a few more solo tricks, skipping across the stage through spinning his rope, he would close the set by mounting the, his pony and keeping an 80-foot lasso in motion.
0: Yeah, isn't that, isn't that crazy?
1: Yeah, 80 feet. How do you do that? On a pretty, I mean, relatively small stage. I mean, it's not like Super was, small.
0: Um, and you know what I was reading um, in Yagoda is he's talked about um, Will would have a person take the rope out into the audience to, to show how long it was. You yeah. know, they, get a, they get a glimpse. Oh, no way. He's about to do this. Right. You know, it's almost like a magician setting up his trick you know and then he does it and i i thought that was pretty cool and a true you, showman
1: yeah and if you think about it too you know this is a you know not a immensely large stage you know in a indoor environment and he's got a horse riding around on stage you know it's it's got to be a neat show to see especially for the time
0: oh definitely um kind of go off what you're saying when uh when will first started off performing he was wearing the funny stuff, the, the, uh, the buckskin trousers, the, the red shirt, pretty much what I interviewed for this job in, um, you know, <laughs> uh, will would twirl the rope in uh, different kinds of knots, ropes, uh, but then can trademark, like you talked about the giant crinoline. Yeah. Um, but w- the one funny example that you go to gives here, you know, always talking about how you have to adapt to when a show must go on pretty uh. much the mentality of show must go on. Um, Will would rope teddy by all four feet, um, yeah. Teddy, the horse right. uh speaking of, we have yeah, the felt shoes that they
1: explain that, to. yeah, okay, well, obviously, since it's a horse riding around on a stage um to both protect the horse from so it isn't sliding around on the on the slick surface and uh to make it a little bit more easy for everyone, uh they had these special shoes made for will's horse, Teddy, and they were just basically. <laughs> Looks like little leather horseshoes, and uh, you know, to help give him a little bit of grip and you know, kind of muffle some of the, uh, the sound of riding around on a stage. And yeah, we have those here on display at the museum. So if you happen to be in the area of Claremore, Oklahoma, for goodness sake, stop by the museum and, and take see Teddy's shoes. They're really cool. They're Air Teddies, is yeah. what we call them. Air Teddies. <laughs> <laughs> air.
0: Um, the, the funny example um, I was talking about um, Buck McKee. You yeah. know, uh, his Will's, assistant. His assistant. Yeah, exactly. Will followed um, a comic barber act. And, and um, so Teddy was out there. Teddy actually, actually slipped on the lather that came off <laughs> from the act earlier. Yeah. Um, and this pinned Buck's leg underneath the horse. Oh, gosh. Which isn't very comfortable, no. I, I've heard. So um, basically, Will, just like in episode Baker's Eight, he took the rope, he roped Teddy in one hand pulled Teddy off of Buck. Oh, wow, yeah. But then, here's, the, here's Will Rogers for you. He says, calmly telling the audience um, that, that, that what they just saw was all planned. <laughs> you know, so he's starting to develop the comedic wit, not that he already didn't have it, but he's starting to play off the audience. Yeah. And this will become a part of his, his whole persona as a performer.
1: Yeah, and you know, talk about variety show. You've got what was it a barber as a as an act in a in the show, and then you've got Will Rogers following up after that. They were hurting. You could s- you could see just about anything at any given night in one of these shows. They were definitely hurting. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, heck, people probably enjoyed it. I don't. I, I kind of wonder what a what that kind of <laughs> that kind of act would have been like. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, to give you to give you kind of a perspective as far as um, most uh, typically a, a Keith uh vaudeville show would range anywhere from uh, prices of about twenty-five cents to a dollar per show, which is a pretty decent uh, decent amount during the time, if you think about it. Um, but what was interesting about Keith, uh, he would really make it uh, a very strict um, had a very strict code of conduct for everyone that worked there. It was people called it uh, the Sunday School circuit, in fact, because there were well dressed ushers. Um you know people people would you know remove their hats and and were encouraged not to smoke and things like that. It was really like I said, like we had said before, it was really really marketed to um the family and it was uh anyway it's just really there's a show
0: I think I read somewhere where it was a show uh, you could bring the children could bring their parents,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it yeah children
0: yeah. could bring your parents so. yeah that's that's good, and we're not talking Disney movie. <laughs>
1: Okay, despite his despite Will Rogers' um success in the Vaudeville um arena, he really he hadn't been doing it that long at this point. We're we're still talking 1905, 1906, that time period roughly. Um he was really widely successful uh, for the time and for what he was doing. But he still wasn't 100% sure. He's a little hesitant if, you know, he wanted a career in show business. He kind of was, you know, a little bummed out and uh, found the routine a little monotonous and tiring. And he really missed his family and friends back home. Specifically. Miss Betty. Yes. He, you know, he had kind of kept in in contact with Betty Rogers, you know, who he had um, stayed in touch with over the years. We've talked about her before. And, of course, he missed his family back home, too. So, you know, at this point, he was really, you know. Thinking about other things and, and not really knowing exactly what to do, he hadn't quite committed to the idea of becoming a vaudeville star. By the way, by this point, he hadn't cu-
0: quite committed to that, and I don't think Betty was ready to quite commit to no. a vaudeville star either.
1: No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna end it right there. Um, we got you. We got you holding on. We got we got you. Yeah, there's 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 a lot more to cover here, um, and we're gonna we're gonna put that on hold because we've got a. It's gonna it just end up being a two-hour podcast if we're not careful. So, we're gonna we're gonna split this up. We're gonna when we come back next time, we're gonna talk about um, Will Rogers and his um, relationship with Betty Rogers and some more b- back home stuff with his family. So, guys, this is uh, this has been a, a fun fun episode for us to do. This is one that I've I've always really liked. The, yeah, we've been looking
0: forward to the Vaudeville episode, especially just setting it up for you guys. That was. It was fun to learn about, and next episode, we will show you Will. We will show you Will. We will. We will. Definitely. <laughs> All right,
1: Barton, is there anything else? Man, I just think the usuals. Th- usuals? Mm-hmm. All right. What are those? Well, we wanted to tell you that this uh, podcast is brought to you by the Will Rogers Memorial Commission and the Will Rogers Memorial Foundation. This episode is produced by Calvin Frank. Oh, man. Old C. Frank. C. Fee. And written and edited by Jacob Crumweedy and Bart Taylor. Special thanks to the Move Trio for the use of their music. And the sources we used this week were the Papers of Will Rogers, Volume 2, the Will Rogers biography by Ben Yagoda, and the Will Rogers biography by Betty Rogers, as well as American Vaudeville, It's Life and Times by Douglas Gilbert. So, I think that'd be it. I think that's it, guys. Um, that was episode nine.
0: Episode nine in the books. Put we'll a, see you round 10.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you.